Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I think right now, you know, most Americans are not ready to lock back down, and I completely understand that. It means that between 800 and 1,000 Americans are going to die every single day. We're going to get another 100,000 deaths by September. So that's a catastrophic cost, and that's very scary. So that's what we have to try to prevent. Dr. Anish Jha, the director of the Harvard Global Health Initiative, laying out what he sees as the potential devastating cost of coronavirus coming up another 100,000 deaths by September. Hello, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. There are more than 110,000 dead in the United States from coronavirus. And yesterday, the U.S. reached more than 2 million cases. With the country full tilt on reopening despite this danger, an influential coronavirus model is predicting a second wave in the fall, warning daily deaths could start to double in September and then keep getting worse. And on top of these dire numbers, President Trump has announced that he will begin holding rallies again and protests continue across the country. Still, There is some optimism with vaccine trials underway and treatments that could be available as soon as the fall. Joining me now to discuss more on the latest on coronavirus is CNN's senior medical correspondent, Elizabeth Cohen. Elizabeth, thanks so much for being here. David, thanks so much. Glad to be here. So let's start with this new model, Elizabeth. It shows 170,000 deaths and daily deaths starting to double in September and then getting worse. Can you explain this to us and sort of take us through uh, how much weight we should put into these models? I think we need to think of these models, David, as educated guesses. And every time we say these numbers, there's actually a span, kind of a margin of error, if you will, just like in a political poll. And so these margins of error are relatively wide. So we need to think of them as a big picture. Don't hold anyone to the particular number. It just means that this could be the direction that we're going in. And as this uh, model shows, as do others, it is not a good direction. We have seen cases are rising in a number of states across the country and hospitalizations are on the rise in at least a dozen states, which I guess suggests this isn't just about more people getting tested. So therefore, more tests are out there to come back positive. What are the experts you're talking to saying about what is happening with this increase in certain places of hospitalizations? Right. Again, that is a very good note that really we should be keeping our eye on all sorts of numbers, but in particular hospitalizations, because that has nothing to do with increased testing or decreased testing. These are people who are in the hospital. And we know that the reason why this is happening to a great extent is because of the increase in so-called opening up. You know, you don't need to have a PhD in immunology to understand the more people get together, the more the virus has a chance to spread. And that is why, in, you know, in some parts of the country, we're seeing this so-called return to hopefully normal at some point going in phases and doing it gradually and being careful. In other parts of the country, not so much. It's more, all right, we're open, we're normal. 
normal again. You have to be so careful about that because even if it feels like that's okay right now, you look around and you don't see a lot of sick people in your community, that can change on a dime, unfortunately. Elizabeth, I was about to ask you what we know, but maybe the better question is what don't we know about the rhythm of this virus, right? I I think a lot of Americans sit back and think about seasonal flu, and I think that's where this notion of a wave may come from because, you know, we see flu uptick, right, in the colder winter months, and we see that sort of crest and fall in the summer. So do we know whether coronavirus behaves that way? There's a lot of details that we don't know for sure, David, but I think that we can say that this isn't really like the flu because the flu really does... It never completely goes away, but it goes down to very, very low numbers in the summer months. We know that. We have many years of experience with that. This is our first year of experience with COVID-19, and we know that it does not do that. We are still seeing in this country, forget about cases, forget about hospitalizations, hundreds of deaths a day. And this is recent. Uh, This is current, really. Sometimes even more than a 1,000 deaths a day. And so that tells you that this is not the flu. This is not something that just goes away. Flu truly is seasonal. This doesn't seem to be seasonal in the same way. Now, could it get worse in the fall? Absolutely. But David, I will tell you that I've tried to avoid using the term second wave. When I think of waves, I think of sitting on the beach. You have a wave and then it's calm, a wave and then it's calm. That's not happening. Hundreds of deaths a day in this country is not calm. This virus has not gone away. We shouldn't think that we're in a lull That's not happening. Maybe we don't know anyone who's died, but still there are hundreds, sometimes more than a thousand Americans dying every day. So we are still in our first wave, if you will. Right. So no lull that we're seeing uh, necessarily, but that doesn't mean it can't be present with a stronger vengeance come the fall. Absolutely. It could be present with a stronger vengeance come the fall. We don't know because, of course, this whole thing started technically in December. So we don't really know what the fall is going to look like. But there are reasons to be more concerned about the fall. It is possible that while this hasn't gone away in the summer, so it's not seasonal in that way, it's possible that it will get worse in the fall. Also, I think we ought to remember that children go back to school in the fall, some parts of the country in August, some parts of the country in September. If children do go back to school as normal, we always see an increase in certain kinds of viruses when children go back to school. You know, for the very simple reason, any parent knows, you know, children are little disease vectors. They are together. They don't always have the best hygiene. They are put together in schools, sometimes densely. That does not bode well. I can't wait to go home to my new daughter tonight and tell her she's a disease vector. I like that. I like that term. Um, Give her a hug while you're saying that. I will, of course. Um, You know, part of this battle that we've seen in society is this desire to return to some sense of normal. I'm curious to get your take on big public gatherings, because now that the president has said he's going to start campaign rallies again, starting in Tulsa, Oklahoma next week, then he's going on to Florida and Arizona and North Carolina, and he doesn't want social distancing at his rallies. We know the battle that he had with the governor of North Carolina over the convention site there. Are the scientists, are the medical experts still very much warning against large public gatherings? Yes, the ones who I talk to are very concerned about that. They say, look, there's a difference between going to the grocery store with a mask, 
being aware of your surroundings, not getting close to people. You know, if there are three people in the, you know, buying eggs, maybe wait five minutes and wait till they go before you buy your eggs. You know, that's one thing. It's another thing to intentionally put yourself at a concert, for example, or a rally of some kind. Those are two very different things. And yes, the doctors who I'm talking to are very concerned about that. And I think that, you know, we've known Donald Trump now for four years. And so I think that each of us as individual Americans can make our choice. We can listen to Donald Trump, a man who has shown disdain for science for many years now, or we can listen to actual doctors, actual infectious disease experts, public health people, epidemiologists who have studied this and who know what they're talking about. We get to choose who we listen to. And of course, it's not just Donald Trump who's going to hold rallies and and bring people together, but we've seen this cultural moment in our society where people have taken to the streets to protest, uh, to fight for racial justice in the aftermath of George Floyd's killing. I want you to hear what Vice President Pence said yesterday about the potential for COVID-19 to spread through those protests that we've been seeing. At this point, we don't see an increase uh, in new cases now nearly two weeks on from when the first protests took effect. Many people at protests uh, were wearing masks. And we also know for a fact sunlight, humidity, heat all have a, uh, a very good effect for us on, uh, on defeating the coronavirus and its transmission. So to go back to what you're saying, that there's a difference between concerts and rallies and and going and being socially distant and aware of your surroundings at the grocery store. Do you find in your reporting uh, that what Vice President Pence is saying is true? There's not an uptick. And is there not concern about these protests? He is not correct at all. He is just plain wrong. And here's the reason why. First of all, not enough time has passed since the protests. It takes time for a virus to spread. It takes time for people to feel sick. It takes time for them to go to the doctor and get a test and be counted as a case. It takes time for that case to get reported to their state health department. All of these things take time. And then hospitalizations, God forbid, if those people get really sick, take even longer amounts of time. And then deaths take even longer amounts of time. So there are time lags here. And two weeks is not going to cut it. So that's the first area um, where he's wrong. The other area where he's wrong is that people who were protesting didn't necessarily live right in that area. So if there was a protest of, say, I'm just making up a number, 100 people, those 100 people after the protest then disperse to wherever they live. Some might be local, some might not be local. So you can't pinpoint and say, see, there was no increase in this particular area because these people likely came from all sorts of areas. So it's going to be very, very hard to track that. In contrast to, for example, back in the beginning of all this, there was a meeting of employees of Genentech, which is a biotech company in Massachusetts, and they could very carefully trace what happened there because it was a small group of people. Everyone knew exactly who everyone was. You could trace everyone. You can't trace the people at a protest. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I was just about to say, we've heard a lot about cities, uh, states hiring contact tracers, uh, how important that is as a part of the process here to battle the virus. And yet that would be an enormous challenge, the way you're describing a crowd that comes together and then disperses to lots of locations. I'm not even sure how you do trace that. 
I think that would be very difficult, if not impossible. I mean, let's just play this out. So somebody is at a protest. They get sick a week later. They go to their doctor who is in, you know, perhaps a whole different city or state. And they come down with COVID. And the doctor says, you know, who have you been in contact with? Oh, I was standing next to a bunch of people at a protest. You can't get in touch with that bunch of people. I mean, maybe unless he was with a friend or two or a family member or something. But for the most part, he or she is not going to know the people who were right near them. That's just, yeah, this, this would be very, listen, contact tracing is tough in the best of circumstances. This would be extremely tough, if not impossible. We'll have a lot more with Elizabeth Cohen in just a moment. We're back with CNN senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen. I want to ask you about the potential politicization of a vaccine. Dr. Zeke Emanuel wrote an op-ed in The New York Times this week that President Trump could potentially pull, quote, an October surprise in the election by potentially greenlighting a vaccine for political gain. Now, Zeke Emanuel... Democrat, obviously a doctor and a scientist, but clearly his his politics are well known. Is this a real concern among many in the medical community you talk to? Yes, he actually co-authored that New York Times opinion piece with Dr. Paul Offit, who is a vaccine developer himself and who is not a political operative. And I've spoken with Dr. Offit at length about this, both before and after he wrote that opinion piece. And yes, he is truly concerned that President Trump is going to, in October, take sort of a half a half-baked vaccine, meaning a vaccine that's been tested somewhat but not thoroughly, and say, aha, here it is, and put political pressure on the FDA to approve it. He is not the only one. I have actually spent the past couple of weeks speaking with many experts who are worried about that. And, you know, they wouldn't be worried about that with any other president, because who in the world would want to put a vaccine out on the market that hasn't been thoroughly tested? But President Trump has done, you know, some pretty eye-popping things during his presidency. Why wouldn't he do this. He has talked about a vaccine at length. He has named his effort Operation Warp Speed. It sounds like a promise, right? It sounds like I'm going to get you a vaccine. He's been saying Operation Warp Speed for, you know, weeks now. So if he said it in the spring of 2020 and then come October of 2020, there's no vaccine, he knows that people might say, hey, where's that vaccine you mentioned? Operation Warp Speed. What happened? And he is going to want to be able to present something to the American people. So it is possible that he could pressure the FDA to approve a vaccine that is not ready. Is there any sense that a vaccine actually could be ready, fully tested and ready? What is the status of a potential vaccine right now? The most hopeful estimates, and this comes from Tony Fauci as well as others, is that at the end of the year, maybe we will have one ready or the first half of next year. So at the end of this year or early 2021, Dr. Fauci has said that Dr. Francis Collins, who's the director of the NIH, who I spoke with, he says the same thing. Sort of, you know, end of this year. So I don't know if they mean New Year's Eve or, you know, like the very end, but they they are saying the end of this year or early next year. October would be quite unlikely. And what Dr. Offit and others are saying is, look, you don't want to rush this because if you put out a vaccine that hurts people, that's obviously terrible because it will hurt people. It's also terrible because no one will trust the next one that comes out of the gate, even if that one's good. If you put out a vaccine that's a dud and doesn't do anything, people also won't trust the next one. There's several candidates out there. You don't necessarily want to go with the fastest one. You want to go with the one that's effective and safe. 
Yeah. That trust is so critical to its success in addition to the actual medicine it's delivering. There was some good news, I believe, on the potential antibody treatments for coronavirus. What can you tell us about that? Right. So the first sort of set of clinical trials have started. Two companies have now started clinical trials with these monoclonal antibodies. And those are those are an interesting creature because they're a little bit of a cross between a treatment and a vaccine. What they do is they take antibodies that people have produced after they've recovered from COVID. And we produce lots and lots of antibodies when we recover from a virus, but not all of them. Some of them are better than others. So you take the best ones and you make a drug out of it. That's sort of the simple way of explaining it. And this has worked well for cancer as well as for other diseases. And they're hoping that it works for this virus as well. And there is also a possibility that it could be used preventatively, which is almost like a vaccine. So there's a possibility that you could take this and it would keep you from getting sick with COVID. And they're looking at it right now. They're starting with hospitalized patients, but there's also possibility it could be used as a prevention. But this is a very promising area of medicine right now. Wow, that sounds very promising indeed. CNN senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.